Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Let's go. Last and final, I'm saying it now, episode of The Black Swan. If you've made it this far, you know that Mr. Taleb is a genius. He's got a thousand pound head and he has been teaching us the way. (laughs) It's true. What a man. And we spent the first couple episodes introducing what a black swan was. The last episode was basically just Taleb just naked on the top of a rock, just yelling like, you can't predict anything, but like a lot smarter than that. But now, if you made it this far, we're going to talk about what to do about it. Thank God. After this discussion about future and past blindness, let us see what to do about it. Remarkably, there are extremely practical measures we can take. We will explore this next. And I wrote in my notes, I was getting a little bit pissed. I wrote, thank God, bro. I seriously counted every one of my dick hairs. Just kidding. I have alopecia. I had, okay, just kidding. Never mind. Moving on. This is a very serious podcast. Intellectual. Two, philosophical implications, then moving into tactical strategy. So he finished up the section that was basically like, no one can predict anything. Um, but he's got two philosophical thoughts he wants to leave us with before he presents his strategy. And the first is for small matters. So the lesson for the small matters is be human, except that being human involves some amount of arrogance, some amount of narrative of stories. Also, it's just fun. It's just fun. Uh, you know, do not be ashamed of that. Do not always try to withhold judgment. Opinions are the stuff of life. Do not try to avoid predicting. Um, Yes, after this diatribe about prediction, I am not urging you to stop being a fool. Just be a fool in the right places. Like if you want to love a certain sports team and you want to bet, oh my, maybe not all your money, but if you (laughs) want to- You want to bet all your money, (laughs) go for it. No, if you want to think that your team's going to win this next game, like just live and be a human, like have fun. Yeah, so you know, if- If that stock you closed your eyes and picked went up 500%, feel free to take take credit for it. Uh, You know. Because I'm so smart. Yeah. If if your wife sees the leaves on the trees tilting upwards and says, oh, it looks like it's going to rain, don't be like, well, statistically, that's a multivariate issue, and it is extremely hard to predict the weather. Uh, such a multivariate problem. I'm sure that your little leaf test doesn't work. It's not going to rain. Don't do that. <laughs> that's, how, that's how you don't have a wife anymore. That's right. But for large matters, we have to avoid unnecessary dependence on large-scale predictions. Avoid the big subjects that may hurt your future. Be fooled in small matters not in large. Do not listen to economic forecasters or to predictors in social science, but but do make your own forecast for the picnic. So he's yep. just saying, you know, go to a picnic. It doesn't fucking matter. It's fine. But don't listen to the big forecast about social security in 2040. Actually, you know, a surprising result from reading this book and sort of understanding his concepts is that I got a lot less stress about a lot of things because I realized like, 
oh yeah, like most things like really don't matter. Like even things, and maybe I'm just lucky to say this, I might be a little privileged here, but like, even if you like, I think about lost your job, I'm like, that's way better than losing all your money though. Yeah. Like, like even something that big, I'm like, oh, when I think about the possibility of all problems or compare losing your job to being so disabled in an accident that you can't work in a job anymore. It's like that you should worry about. And it's like, actually, I got a lot less stressed after reading this stuff because I was like, oh, yeah, the category of things I should worry about is actually pretty small. Yeah. And then the rest is like, it's fine. And he, and he says, you know, if you shed the idea of full predictability, there are plenty of things you could do to remain conscious of their limits. So knowing that you cannot predict does not mean you cannot benefit from unpredictability. So the bottom line is be prepared. Be aware of the numbing effect of magic numbers. You know what the model says, the model model says, uh, be prepared for all relevant eventualities. Um, you know, he talks about the, the positive accidents that happen in the world. Like you're trying to do a, a, a blood pressure drug and everybody keeps getting boners. And then you realize, holy shit, that's Viagra. And that's how Viagra started. It's like almost every medication yeah is an accident isn't it it's yeah. not like because what we as f silly people want to think is like okay most of the time we think okay here's the medicine we want to make here's our process and we will do these tests and boom we discovered finally after hard work and and intelligence we discover the medicine but sometimes we have an accident and we accidentally discover things it's like flipped yeah it's more like you're a company and you've got 20 teams all yep. trying to work on a problem but they're all like finding out different shit but then maybe one of those 20 teams finds something that you can then be like, oh, crap. Hey, I know that's not what you're looking for, but like, we're going to take that. Thank you. It's like double uncertain. Like, it's like, okay, we need to solve problem A. So we set up a team, 20 teams to all try to solve problem A, knowing that only one would probably solve it. But they actually solve problem seven <laughs> and then they go market seven. Like, that's right. actually how it works. And he says this, the same point can be generalized to life. Yep. Maximize the serendipity around you. Yes. And we talked about that you know, network ma maximizing the return on luck and yes, like network, but also like maybe go to a shooting competition with 30 random people that all have enough money to shoot guns and all could be your friend that could turn into something. And yeah. And I also think like um, having like something as simple as uh, an emergency fund allows you to do something like not take the very first job you possibly could find if you were to lose all your income, if you had some stability in your life, you could like, oh, well, let me be a little bit more open to what I could go do as right. opposed to like, so that gives you more optionality in your life as opposed to, oh, I don't have any money. Actually, I have negative $4,000 on my credit card and, and I lost my job. Now you have no options. Right. And so you have like negative serendipity almost. Yeah, I totally. And uh, he says, tinker, just Try stuff out. America's specialty is to take these small risks for the rest of the world, which explains this country's disproportionate share in innovation. Once established, an idea or product is later perfected over there. Because don't be ashamed of losses, you know? <clears throat> Just try shit, fail. Try shit, fail. And I wrote, I got that down. <clears throat> so, are we ready to talk tactical? Always, let's go. Okay, so all of this long preamble to truly understand how he thinks about Black Swan, how he thinks about risk, how we can't really predict anything, 
he brings us to buy a compound. Oh, that's yeah, I agree. <laughs> uh, buy a compound. Uh, no, he brings us to the barbell strategy. Troy doesn't like the barbell strategy. I think I do like it, but I don't fully agree or understand his way. And I was hoping we'd chat about it. Okay. Um, okay. So basically it, when he was a trader in the trading world, and I always keep thinking I'm saying trader, yeah. uh, but when he's a fucking trader, that's probably what he thinks too. Yeah. I don't know. When he was a trader, um, in the investment world, he used a barbell strategy. So basically what that means is on one side is hyper conservative. On the other side is hyper aggressive. So he says, picture a barbell. On one end is super safe shit, on the other is super risky shit. The middle is thin, and the middle is the traditional investments. Where if you typically look at people, you know, all of their investment, like, like if, just the barbell. If, if you look, yeah, if you look <laughs> at their, if you look at the average person's um, investments or money or like potential future money from an annuity stream like their job, you know, all of that falls into most of their money future money is going to come from that annuity of their job so just repeated payments then they've got a house yep and then they've got a maybe a 401k yep like a target date fund yeah yeah and then maybe they've got some mutual funds yep and then they've got a car a car payment and you know well it's not an asset yeah yeah. (laughs) and and so like that is the traditional and what he's saying is on the left side, the they're safe side of the turkeys. barbell. He'd say they're turkeys. Uh, on the safe side of the barbell, instead of putting your money in medium risk investments, because he says, how do you know what is medium risk? By listening to tenure seeking experts, he says. From the evidence. Yeah. <laughs> he says, you need to put a portion, say 85 to 90% in extremely safe instruments like treasury bills. Which is fucking crazy. That's heresy in the investment world. They'd be like, you're fired. Yeah. (laughs) And he says, that way, you do not depend on errors of risk management. No black swan can hurt you at all uh, beyond your floor. The nest egg that you have in maximally safe investments. Think about that. He's not even just, I'm saying this more for me. It's like, he's not saying like, oh, beware of the high risk investments because some some things are higher risk. He's saying beware of how the experts have modeled risk and he's saying it's so unpredictable it's the risk of the risk he's saying opt out completely he's like just get out because you don't know and this is my this is where and let me explain the other part and then we need yes. to dive into this shit explain it fully and then we'll go yeah. with our gripes with it um so that's the left side super safe the right side is the aggressive side of the barbell it's the remaining 10 to 15 percent you put in extremely speculative bets. So venture capital, Bitcoin, your own business. Um, like leveraged options. Leveraged options, yeah. Yeah. So the, the the second lesson here is you do that and what you're trying to do on that side is take advantage of the problem of prediction of everybody being so arrogant and hope that you found that hole in the model that you can just suction cup your mouth on and just slurp out gold. It's more, I think it's more like if a black swan hits that portfolio, you make a lot of money. If you, if a black swan hits the other traditional one, you lose a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. And positive and negative black swans. Like I think, yes, I think that he means on that, that right side, it'd be like, 
trying to think of what is something create like terrorist attack. Yeah. Okay. If a terrorist attack happens, what like what business could go way up? Oil. Oh, up. I was gonna think like, you say down. Good. Like good. Oh, good. Uh, gun sales. I don't know. Gun sales. <laughs> yeah. So like maybe one of your bets on that side, and and I'm not speaking for him, and and I have a moral problem with terrorism, obviously, but maybe one of your bets is like. Something catastrophic happens to the national defense that mobilizes us to quadruple down on defense spending. Sure. What industries blow up in a good way from that? Or maybe maybe you have a terrible relationship with those, uh, with like some of the countries where they are coming from, if they're a military country, and it's like oil goes to $90 a barrel in some kind of, you know, trade war or something. Right, like. right. And so, you know, you got one bet that way, and then you got another bet, like you just said, that, that yeah. you know, you're betting with a small portion that you know you're, you're bleeding over the long period of time yep. but if you know if all of a sudden there's a giant fucking oil trade war yep. and you now make 30 million smackers you're not feeling too bad holy shit and one of the central tenets here is avoiding asymmetric risks i feel like I he i feel like okay, he's so i feel like he spits negative on risks asymmetric risks asymmetric negative risks asymmetric negative risks exactly I feel like he spits on the ground in the same way that my wife does when she says Trump supporters, when yes. he says like asymmetric risks or like experts, experts. <laughs> so like, look at a bond economists. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Th- this would be a negative asymmetric risk. So look at a bond. So let's say you buy a company's bond and you get a 4% return. It's pretty good. Okay. Okay. You know, 4%, 4%. But the problem is, you're now exposed to the catastrophic risk of that company going bankrupt. The CEO is actually a crook and right. the entire thing goes collapses, yeah. And so is that 4%, that marginal little 4%, wee, is that worth risking zero, going to zero? He'd say no. The evidence. The evidence is right, yeah. He'd say no. Um, then he says, as you're building your barbell, don't look for the precise and the local. So don't predict black swans. It tends to make you more vulnerable to the ones that you did not predict. If you could predict it, it like wouldn't be a black swan. Um, yeah, because if, if you could predict it, it wouldn't be a black swan. But then seize any opportunity or anything that looks like opportunity. They are rare, much rarer than you think. Um, so I have a crazy example of this. So I have, a, I have a good friend who is, has been a computer coder for NASA. Nice. Um, That's a good most, friend to have. Most rugged beard. I've got such nice. beard envy. I've got this little like just shaggy Me too, man. Asian grandpa mustache going on right now. We would now. both lose the beard award. Uh, Dude, I tried to do No Shave November and I, I gave up after two and a half weeks because it was like, hey, I thought you were doing No Shave November. I was like, I am. But anyways, badass beard. But he called me a couple days ago. I was like, hey, I th- I want to start a company. And I think that you and I would work well together. Let's talk about it. And I was like, yeah. Because my Venn diagram skills is like, you know, good at storytelling, sales, right, uh, execution and kind of running shit. Yeah. But I'm not super technical. Mm-hmm. Um, and his is more of that technical. Right. And so we just have a call in a couple days. We're just going to talk about it. Dude. And, and you know, I, I told him like, I'm not going to sign up for something stupid, but like, Hey, crazier shit has happened. And 
that's that's that positive black swan. You know, starting a podcast, throwing it out there. I'm gonna email Mr. Taleb this podcast. Yep. You never know, man. He could love it. He could hunt me down and kill me too. That's yeah, a possibility. Will. Probably will. Um, but remember that positive black swans have a necessary first step. Like you were saying, you need to be exposed to them. And most people do not realize that they are getting a lucky break when they get it. You know, if a big publisher, big art dealer, movie executive suggests an appointment, cancel anything you have planned. You may never see a window open again. And and I like this idea. I think this goes back to the return on luck. He says, collect as many free non-lottery tickets, you know, those with open-ended payoffs as you can. This and is, once they start paying off, do not discard them. This was... Um, this was my decision to buy some Bitcoin this year and part, and it was one of many things I tried to take advantage of this year. It wasn't the only thing and I'm still being conservative in other ways of my life. But, uh, for, for reasons we won't get into in this podcast, I thought, Hey, this looks like an extreme opportunity to me, but what do I know? But I'm just going to like pounce on it. And you also take that how you got your biggest client. You, it was a, it was on Twitter. They were like, Hey, uh, I need to hire a video editor, like message me. And this guy has like 300 and probably 400,000 Twitter followers at this point. And I was like, okay, I'm for sure not going to get this job. Like just flat out. But this is called a free non-lottery ticket. What was the cost? Three hours of effort. So I had read this book. I had read, read uh, anti-fragile and I realized that this was exactly one of those opportunities of like, this cost me hardly anything. Worst case scenario, I'm doing what I'm doing. This is free with positive upside. Let's go. And I did it and actually freaking got the job, which is pretty fucking crazy. But Motherfucker. Oh, thank you, Mr. Taleb. Going to get a compound. Yes. So he says the implications on work. So work hard, but not in grunt work, but in chasing such opportunities and maximizing exposure to them while limiting your risk of ruin. This I think guy, that was the point that you yes. were talking about, which Huge. is, you know, like for me, I think about it as Okay, so I lived in the ghetto right out of college, more because I wanted to be smart, kind of like, kind of like you're living with your parents. Exactly. But like, now I, well, I bought a house, and then I bought another house, and so now I've got 20, 25 acres, and it's like, how can I set it up so that worst case, if the worst possible fucking thing happens, I'm my lifestyle is never gonna be worse than it is right now. Right. Like cars paid off. You know, I just refinance so my mortgage is less. You, you ever, like, you, you ever when you're analyzing a stock chart and you go, I don't oh, look at the all-time highs. Like, I don't like analyze stock charts. Yes. I believe in Black Swan, bitch. Oh, yeah. Whenever you're looking at them and laughing at them. Okay, okay. Go on, um, go on. If, you know, most people look at the highs. Yeah. I've, I've gotten to the habit of, like, thinking about things in terms of trying to increase my lower bound. So mm. it's like, over time, like, when the stock is like, going up and down, up and down, it's like, am I dipping higher and higher like when when it crashes can i slowly increase my dips that's sort of how i think about my life strategy right now is like yes i'm taking bets i'm taking bets but at the same time also being hyper conservative in a lot of ways so that my worst case scenario keeps getting better and better you know but in my in terms of career and financial sense yeah i i think about it um i i think about it as like on the great monte carlo simulation of life uh. with you know, a thousand potential futures from anything that I yep. do. So, you know, I go to a job interview. How does that affect the thousand potential, you know, webs of probability coming off the tree of life? Um, I'm about to, my mind's about to blow up, but you know, okay, is this decision 
going to make the you know the top end the most lucky the best going to make that higher and is it going to make the bottom end higher and so like let's say i go on udemy and i need to do this and i i, I my weakness is like the accounting part of business and so i have a, Gosh. i have a udemy course that's 30 hours that I bought for 10 bucks and it's really good. And it's just like about accounting. Yeah. It's like accounting and finance and bookkeeping. I need to get better at that too. And it's this sincere Indian professor guy and he's so that. nice, but dude, it sucks. So boring. And so I, I think that I, so I, I have a 38 special revolver and I need to trade it up to a 357 nice. because you know, just because, uh, cause then it shoots, it's optionality, man. Um, optionality. so I think I'm going to bribe myself that if I can do this class by like March 10th of yep. 2021, I'll buy myself a 357 revolver. Yeah. But I think about it as like taking that class, mm -hmm. that increases that lower bound that yep. you're talking about. A lot. A bunch. The uh, the guy that I'm, I'm working for right now, uh, he he's an investor and he, he has a unique sort of investing strategy that he kind of calls like a, uh, it's like an, it's sort of like an asymmetric um, investing strategy. He, he basically looks for he's also an accredited investor so it it changes a little bit but um the opportunities he has access to but like he he yeah he has cash money um, dude he has a lot he has a lot of cash money um but he uh he invests in basically what's the where's the what's the fringe ideas happening right now that has a chance of disrupting like existing technologies and have a potentially huge payoff with like limited downside and he just spends his time looking for those disruptive asymmetric payoffs. And that's how he invests. It's sort of like everything's going to be a loser and he's going to get like three unicorns that are going to take off. And he's already had a few. Speaking of asymmetry, let's move to the great asymmetry. That That's Nassim Taleb's title. He says, all these recommendations have one point in common. Asymmetry. Put yourself in situations where favorable consequences are much larger than unfavorable ones. Indeed, the notion of asymmetric outcomes is the central idea of this book. I will never get to know the unknown since, by definition, it is unknown. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I can always guess how it might affect me and how I should base my decisions around that. Yes. So, we don't need to understand the probabilities of a rare event... You know, we just fucking just set yourself can't. up so that you can benefit or at least be a robust to it. Boom. Rather, we can we can focus on the payoff and the benefits of an event if it takes place. So, like, I don't know. We can't predict COVID, but um, if I have good internet, yep. if I've got a well, if I've got a pond as a backup, if I've got a deep freezer filled with meat, if I got some cash, if I got a, got a wood burning stove, if I can hunt on my land, I've got fruit trees. That cuts off. That's I like yeah, in an AR-15, you're good. Fuck, man. Uh, you need to look into uh, there. I think it's in beta right now, but uh, you've seen this like thing called Starlink, Elon Musk's company. That's gonna change everything. That's gonna change everything. If you had like a Starlink satellite too, dude, you'd have like fucking 5G level internet. Just like I feel like my internet's okay right now, but I think what that's gonna really redundancy. Yeah, that's a great point. Okay, you guys should do that. Um, and so he, one last thing about this, and then let's dissect how we both think about the barbell strategy so he says you can build an overall theory of decision making on this idea all you have to do is mitigate the consequences so i guess how's it so let's talk about our strategies <laughs> so uh so my current philosophy and this is where 
So like I, I, I read this book, then I went and I was a financial advisor. And the way that financial advising talks about it is it's like modern portfolio theory. So what that is, is you need to create, you know, so you need to figure out when do you need the money? That's where you start. And let's say the answer is 30 years from now. And then you need to also put in, put in what is your risk tolerance? So let's say it's moderate. And so then what, what gets spit out from that is a portfolio that the average return, so over a long period of time, the average return of XYZ portfolio is X. So let's say it's 10%. And so what you do is you just squirrel away money in that diversified portfolio. And yes, in one year to the next year, you can't predict shit. But on average, what they would say, they being traditional investors, is that it washes out. You've got diversification. You know, you're going to have losers. You're going to have winners all the time. And over a long period of time, that is the smartest thing to do. Take advantage of compound interest. Squirrel that bitch away. And as you get closer to retirement, you need to be a lot more careful. Yep. Yep. And so that is contrasted with what I believe, and correct me if you think he would think differently, what I believe Nassim Taleb would say is that that's cool that you set up this cool portfolio with all these average returns and shit, but it doesn't matter because that's mediocristan math, Yeah. whereas we live in extremistan. Yeah, and he'd be like, your black swan could hit you at age 62 and you just lost half your returns you ever made. But I, but so, but my, I guess my biggest, my biggest issue with it, because I was, I was really rat, trying to wrap my head around this because if the market goes to, if the whole, if that whole diversified portfolio of gold, of small cap companies, uh, you know, and, and you're buying ETFs, so you're yep. buying like a hundred companies, 200 companies, and you have, you know, you, you've got 40 ETF. So your exposure is probably across 20,000 companies. Yes. If, if your diversified portfolio gets just absolutely crushed with the black swan of black swans, I feel like we're going to have bigger problems and everybody's going to be much more fucked and might even be the point where like, it doesn't matter that you have your money in cash because cash is just funny looking green paper. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. It might not even, it might be a problem still, even in a situation that's not that extreme. I mean, what if you think you're investing in medium risk things, but it goes down 45% in a great depression. But my time horizon is 30 years from now. Right. So if it goes 40, if it goes down 45% in one year, I buy a shitload more because shit's on sale. Right. But I think that would just expose you to like, if that, if that crash happened, Late, if that crash happened late, you have a that's big problem. You didn't plan well, because you need to start de-risking your assets. Sure, and as you're like a year away from retirement, right, dude, you need to have like all of it in cash, basically. Right, right, right. I mean, kind of not exactly, but um. So my current philosophy is, and I like your opinion on if on if he and I are saying the same thing because I was I was flitting in and out of consciousness, and I, you know, my my assessment is that he and I are saying the same thing, but he was a trader. And so he's trying to do things to generate profit. Whereas I worked and and managed money. And what we tried to do is generate uh, sustainable returns over 30 years. Yeah. So if my time horizon's 30 years 
my current philosophy is on one end of the spectrum, I definitely overweight much more than like the modern portfolio theory. Cause like modern portfolio theory people, they'll even say, they'll even say, you know, don't pay off your house because that's a 3% return and you can get 13% in the market. So opportunity costs, you're losing out on 10%. To me, that's the, the situation that, that hits my ear at this point in my life, the same way when I brought up like, you know, doctors were talking about, oh, this is a health crisis and economists were like, this is an eco- economic crisis. To me, it's like that view of the world is like, if you only view life as mathematical returns on paper. And it's also assuming that everything's going to stay constant because it's, assu- assu- it's yeah. assuming you're, it's assuming you're your job that you're yep. making 70 grand a year is going to stay yep. the same. Exactly. And, and it's going to, you know, the life's all, so messy that it's like, it doesn't factor in all the random stuff that happens to you. So, you know, what modern portfolio theory would say is don't pay off your house, just get in a diversified portfolio. I'm saving 20% cash. And put a bunch of money. Yeah. And so what I think is that I want to be the dragon smog on one end of the spectrum. Yep. So every time <clears throat> that I get some gold, from my job, which is more of like the, the distinction you made is super helpful in my brain, more of a non-scalable job. Yeah, which still, you want. Which I want because I'm, you know, getting a salary. Right. So I'm squirreling that away like smog, slowly, you know, paying off my house. Yes. Getting off the grid, building that bottom line nest egg, as as Mr. Taleb said, yeah. you know, my dragon layer. And you'll never blow up in one year in that job and make $3 million? Right. That would not that would never happen. But the benefit, you know, Thomas Sowell, there's no solutions, only trade-offs. <sighs> um, the benefits you get from that is that it's really likely that you'll be able to do that job yeah. next year and you'll get that paid. If you're in a job that you could, might make $3 million, you could also make zero, just as likely. And so that's the trade-off you get. The, the range of returns you get, it's like comes with risk. But because you're in a non-scalable job, it's like you're also, the benefit you get is it's really likely that it's going to work. Yeah. And it's it's like half and half scalable. Um, so right, I, I, right, can, right. I can make more yeah. money. But yeah. But so I, I have a wood burning stove. I got a pond. Pay off the house quickly. Solar with battery backups on the cards. Got fruit trees. Can deer hunt. Yep. You won't make, End goal. You won't make 30 million like Taleb. Right. End goal. I want to have. I want to like slowly keep carving away that base level, yes. So that like eventually, I'm at a point where even if I don't ever have a job, even if all my other investments get fucked, like, hey, guess what? I got eggs. I got deer meat. I got freezer. Good I got good. electricity. We're good. You're good. So that's one side. And the other, I'll put it on the the other end of the barbell. But I don't. I don't think Mr. Taleb would agree. Is a diversified portfolio of ETS. Just like modern portfolio theory would say. Yep. Because for my time horizon and for how spread across the world that like the industries that is, I I do think that a lot of that averages out. And if it doesn't average out, everybody's gonna have so much bigger problems than me because I've got weapons, chickens, and my compound. Yep. And so I don't want to miss out. Like, I don't want to try to pick the next solar stock or get deep into crypto and miss out on the potential of just compound interest from more traditional investment philosophy that works on the average, but doesn't, you know, can't can't pick if it's going to work tomorrow. 
and then let that shit grow and then as they get closer to retirement de-risk a bunch so what what, so what do you think he would think of that i think i was about to say i i don't know that i'd even necessarily agree with this but i think he would tell you your your thinking is correct if you assume that people have modeled the risk correctly for the diversified portfolio so yeah okay i guess that's it i mean maybe you're right but i think he was just i think his response would be like you you're doing a you're doing exactly what you should do based on the risk profile of of these investments assuming that it's accurately calculated right and like you're that was the best example i've heard so far about like well what if endemic to all etfs there's some sort of problem which i i truly don't think there is well there's even stuff that i've talked i've heard you know i've listened to about like prob incoming problems with uh index funds that that rely on an algorithm they're buying no matter what the price is blah 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 blah. and there could be a a few situations that i'm not smart enough to actually comprehend right now and spit out on a podcast there's something called the flash crash you know about that yes so flash crash i don't know what when it happened like 2005 2003 something like that but basically it was that it was trading algorithms. It's like if you have a robot doing it all the time, doing it. Yeah, it'll buy things that like, and it could cause some blow up sometimes potentially. Okay, can I tell you something so fucking funny? Yeah. Okay, so my friend who I cannot name. Oh God. Uh, this is just an example of how Tyler about how computer no, how how computers have no critical thinking. So the iPhone uh, recently created a new gallery called My Furry Friends. <laughs> And I've got a good friend, and and, no. and the my furry friends is supposed to be uh, like cats and dogs and shit. But I have a good friend who gets hemorrhoids, and so he took a picture of his hemorrhoid to see how bad it was, and then, <laughs> this, then the algorithm sorted it into my furry friends. And he was scrolling through it, and he's like, "Oh my god, that's my asshole." And, uh, but that's just like a great example. So that's a good point. Like I got to watch out if, uh, for the furry friends, for, for if, the, if the ETFs do the furry friends mistake. But as long as right. I've looked at that risk, right. I feel like I'm looking at it the right way. Yeah. And, and, and then he would probably argue that like, you're not looking at the risk. You're looking at the reports generated by people who are looking at the risks. So you don't even know. And then I also guess I've got a, <laughs> another little like a two and a half on the side of the barbell, which is a two and a half plate. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is which is this podcast. Yes, and then just various endeavors that I'm online, just like online business. Yeah, or just, random just things, throwing yeah. out there. I got a website, you know, like just throwing it out there, and then you know just trying to trying to fund everything yeah. from that 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 main job, small dollar amount into crypto. Just yeah, tiny just, little bit in crypto. And just just throwing it all in there, yeah. hoping that compound interest happens, hoping that luck happens, and just being yeah. being open to the great Monte Carlo simulation of life. So I think what he so would, what, how do you think about all that stuff? So I think he would say that your portfolio and, this and is like not, this maybe is in your you can flip it over to how do you think about it from your perspective? Yeah, but you can finish. I'm about closer. Mine. I'm closer to you than him, but I think I'm closer to him than you are, if that makes sense. Um, so I think he would tell you that you could almost imagine that your portfolio and his extreme barbell portfolio might generate i don't know 10 percent return seven percent eight percent return uh you know averaged out a year except his takes advantage of positive of black swans and yours is at risk to be negatively affected 
more by by black swans and so both his and yours would get the same returns but his benefits from random events yours would be hurt i also think though that he has a competitive advantage and understands that dollar advantage exactly but no like even before that though right right because like what i don't want is i don't want an average person to listen to this and think that the solution is to keep all their money in cash and then to go in like hey i know because like I, I got burned because i thought in my mind hey solar is good right and so i bought you know i had a couple big bonuses at angie's list and i bought like six different solar stocks thinking yeah. diversification I'm smart. solar yep and all of them went bankrupt Amazing. except for one that turned into tesla stock because it was solar city and elon musk was like ah, here's some tesla stock sorry about that so so that that kind of taught me a little bit that like you got to have some sort of competitive advantage because it's really hard it's to, really hard to do that that 15 percent other end of the barbell that it's turns also, into bajillion dollar returns it's also really technical like yeah. he's even talked about this i've heard him talk about this like if you don't know what you're doing, you shouldn't do it. He's, I've even heard him say this on like interviews and stuff. Like the what what he did setting up these uh, exotic options and advanced yeah. options contracts that are like you know straddles and blah 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 and puts and calls and all this stuff. Like in order to basically hedge against the S and P. 500 dropping 40% like taking that bet over and over again and losing money consistently it's actually like technically and operationally complex to actually implement that and most people have nowhere near the expertise to be able to even put those options in place safely and so yeah you're right and, and I feel like I feel like uh, you know someone saving a little bit more cash than optimal paying their house off quickly and buying SPY yeah ETF fund it like there's a lot worse things people could do. A lot worse. So like where I personally get a little bit, um, I might be, I don't, I don't know exactly what. Cause that's 500 do. different companies. Right. 500 so, of the biggest companies. Right. So in terms of personally, like, you know, I'm not an advanced investor or trader or anything like that, but trader, trader. but for personally, like I probably save slightly more cash than most quote unquote investors do. I'm like at least 20%. Uh, saving cash right now um, and then then I'm I am I, SPY actually I buy a lot of that I do that for sure on a couple couple index funds and then I also invest on the other side uh, this year overweight but uh, in crypto and that kind of space um, so that's sort of my and I mean you got to think too that you run your own business so like sure on, yeah. on one so you know even even me sitting here and saying like oh you know you're keeping more cash uh I'm not quite thinking about it right because on one end of the barbell, you've got crypto in your own fucking business, which yeah. is so risky Sure. on the spectrum of risk. Sure. And then on the other end, you know, you've got cash that might actually not be as unbalanced as like my initial gut reaction. Right. Right. It might be pretty, it might still be kind of risky. <laughs> yeah. Like, maybe it should like, be 50. Like you need like, to be <laughs> funneling from that, from yeah. that business into gold. Yeah. So maybe I, I should have said that I have a like 5% in gold yeah and actually. i don't know anything about i really don't i mean dude this book has had has given me kind of that like inshallah god willing like the attitude a little bit yeah like you can't predict anything so like 
hey, I'm just going to 80-20. That's good. Like, I don't know anything about gold, but yeah, I'll buy some gold. There we go. But yeah, he would. He he's argued that you should have a little bit of gold. He said that he, he actually, this is his words. He He hates gold and he doesn't understand it, but he owns it because it's been around for 5,000 years. Yeah. And Lindy Effect says, hey, I should probably have this. Because people, let me just say this: people who have had gold for thousands of years have done okay. So I should probably, that'll probably still be true. Yeah, you know, like those turkeys that have been a thousand days that they've been alive, like they're good to go. Exactly. Okay. Any closing thoughts on that? And then I, I think we got to move. We got to move into a, a few just quick mental models that nope, he leaves us with. Let's go. But I, I think that was super helpful. I didn't. I hadn't quite articulated in my mind the dynamics of the barbell Mm -hmm. but i think that that's and especially what you said oh we need we real quick just just need to touch on that um the scalable versus non-scalable distinction like i thought he was so stupid uh when he was like you know no you you want a Mm non-scalable but when you brought up the point no that needs to be first like hey because you might not eat for 40 years you know in the scale yeah you can't you want to be a musician well guess what maybe go wash dishes uh, and and right. get food, yeah, and then be a musician on the side. And right. so, like I think on on one end of the barbell, you've got this non-scalable income yes. that's probably going to be around, right. And then on the other end of the barbell is that scalable. Yeah, it's like you should. It's like if you're living on your compound or something like that. It's like take some of your money and just like sell hay. Yeah, like that is gonna be around. It's not going to make you a fortune, but it's pretty likely that you'll be able to sell some hay, yeah. right? And then on the other end of the barrel, like trade some options, you know, or buy some risky stuff, you know, do both. Yeah. But make sure your bases are covered. Totally. So, okay. So that's the, that's the tactical how to think about it. And I think, I think we, we went deep on that. Yeah. Oh, he, have no debt, I think is a really important investment philosophy, personal debt. It like like not not mortgage. This is a little bit different, but I mean like, and I might be expanding the definition of investing myself. So I might be the weird one. Dude, it's the way. I just think about investing as risk management to try to make my future better. (laughs) And so part of what I quote unquote invest in is making sure that I have like no personal debt at the end of every month, like no credit card debt or auto loans or anything like that. Right, because compound interest works both ways. Yeah. So if you if you buy if you get a car. That oh is already going to depreciate, and then you get a car payment on it. Dude. You're basically paying negative compound interest on an asset that's just turning into toilet water. Yeah, yeah, and so you can be really screwed by that. And so I think part of your investment, if like, like, because a lot of people are starting out with like, oh, I can't even invest yet. I have negative twenty five thousand dollars is my net worth, mm-hmm. right? It's like I think personally, your best investment is an emergency fund and paying off debt. Before you invest it, I it, anything, I think it pretty it, it depends on what type. Like student loan debt, maybe is different, mm-hmm. but like credit card debt, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah or like sure. you know, you got conned into financing your couch, on high interest debt yeah, for four thousand dollars, like that. Just yeah. pay it off anyway. Okay, good, good. I I agree. Um, so he's gonna he's gonna leave us with four mental models to foresee, predict black swans. But we just spent so long talking about how swans. we can't predict black swans. You didn't say that. So what he, what he, the analogy he draws is you can't predict black swans, but you can turn them gray. Okay, yeah. And so what that means is, as if we have these certain mental models, we can, we can't ever predict 
But if we know that an earthquake is possible in California, a really yes. bad one, we can reinforce our house. If we know that the market can go down 22%, we can be long-term investors or maybe take advantage of it when the market's yes. down. He, he, and you'll cover this at some point in this book about uh, anti-fragile. Oh God, I, dude, but, I, need to, I need to just cover Goodnight Moon next. Yes. This, this book has been the death of me. But I think, uh, and if you listen to this and I'm wrong, sorry, Mr. Nassim Taleb. But dude, if you listen to this, Mr. Taleb, I love you. Thank you so much. He, uh, he, he would, I think he talks about like a way you can, you know, view the world, like a filter you can view the world in terms of determining the future is like not looking at things in terms of probability. Look at things are, if they're fragile, robust or anti-fragile. And that's how you can predict the future. The best way that us mere mortals can. It's like, if you see something and you see that it's very fragile to a negative event, it's like you can quote unquote predict that I don't know when, I don't know how, but that's going bust. Right. Like running through the night to get snacks in the ghetto. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You do that enough times. Something bad's going to happen, <laughs> dog. Don't do that. I don't know how. I don't we, know what. We talked to my wife at the dinner break. She's like, yeah, I've just done that forever. I'm like, oh my God. Well, that totally makes it safe. Like, oh yeah, I ran naked across the battlefield in Iraq and didn't get shot. So that's the reason I didn't get shot. No, it's called getting lucky. <laughs> Anyways. So prim- principle one. And we talked about this a little bit, but this is very important. We have to know and and train our intuition to be aware of the superstar effect. And so uh, some economist, Sherwin Rosen in the early 80s, wrote papers about economic superstars. And we talked about this with that author, Balsack. Um, But according to Rosen, this inequality, so superstars is basically, you know, there's Google and then there's Bing and there's no one else. There's, you know, the top one or two. Yeah, there's. Amazon, um, Cardi B, yeah, um, whatever. A lot of you know everyone think of superstars. Stephen King, Stephen King, yeah, uh, J.K. Rowling, George R.R. Martin, and then so many other authors that are just toiling away in obscurity. Um, and according to Rosen, this inequality comes from a tournament effect. So someone who's marginally better can easily win the entire pot, leaving the others with nothing. So that's an interesting thought. So like think of a tournament, everyone's kind of going oh, head yeah. to head. It looks like they're amazing. And so better, it looks they're... like they're fucking amazing. But even 1% means you win over the long period of time. And assuming that everything works like that, yep. you know, you're going to be at the top when really you were just 1% better. And if you're an extremist in territory, then you're going to be the, the one winner. And Mr. Taleb says, but the role of luck also is missing in Rosen's beautiful argument. The yeah. problem here is the notion of better this focus on skills as leading to success random outcomes or an arbitrary situation can also explain success and provide the initial push that leads to the winner take all effect okay so here's an example this uh email that i sent to this guy on twitter yeah uh to get this video job guarantee there were i mean i can't know this for sure but i would guarantee that there were better technical video editors than me who applied and maybe just the way I wrote the email or the way I... Or the, maybe primacy recency effect. Maybe he read yours first. I was really early. Yeah. So maybe just sheer luck made me get it, you know, even though and they then, were better. And then the crazy thing is that could turn into another client, could turn into another client, could turn into you're running a $5 million video business. You never know. You have, you know, 20 people working for you. And this is and a winner take all. And it's a winner take all. Like I, like in terms of... And now my wife enters the recording after drinking a bit of alcohol 
and figuring out that there are Highland cattle for sale. <laughs> Black Swan event just happened here. Uh-oh. Get him. Go. How much are they? 2800 for two. This is 1400 apiece, and they normally sell for 2000 It's a boy and a girl. They're not related. Are you? How hammered are you? Somewhat. Tending towards mildly. Are they... They're so fucking cute. Are they good looking? How so is it? How they, could they be bad investment? Can they die? Do they die easy? Cows? Yeah. You can feed cows moldy hay and weeds. Do it. Okay. Uh, I'll so go. That's one of it. I could become a Highland cattle herd. But your yes. your horse is gonna be scared of it. I'll figure that out because I think if I put them in that pasture, she won't be able to see them. I'll go half and half. I'll buy one Are you too. Fucking serious? Yeah. Oh my god. Let's go. <laughs> and it's recorded yes. on this. Recorded on here. Oh my god, they're so cute. You want to see them? No, I'm in the middle of recording. Get out, woman. Get out, devil. Goodbye. <laughs> yes. That makes me very excited, though. Okay. I do think that's a good investment, but fuck. I just guess I bought a cow. <laughs> bought a cow on the podcast. That's actually the best thing that could have happened in this podcast. Yeah. So if you guys didn't understand what the hell that was my wife's hammered she just uh stumbled in and said i'm buying a high, i'm buying a cow and uh you gotta buy two cows or they get lonely and so i, I just went half and half and i'm just gonna buy a, buy a cow you can't lose money on it it's it's totally safe dude in worst case we'll eat it dude asymmetric bitch and then Fuck. like i just bought a cow anyways <sighs> what mr taleb going back would say is that a person get, can get slightly ahead for entirely random reasons. Yes. Because we like to imitate one another. We flock to him and this world of contagion. Oh, sorry to pick on this one point, but can I throw one more thing about this job that I got? Yes. Uh, he is from North Carolina. I am from North Carolina. Nice. And I knew that about, and you know about this restaurant. I knew about the restaurant Bojangles. Holy shit, that probably is it. So I tweeted at him like a few days earlier about like, like he said something about Bojangles, like LOL Bojangles is God's food or something like that. And he like liked it and responded and we like had a quick conversation. I was like, dude, I might've gotten that job not because of my video editing skills, but because I like Bojangles. Right. And somebody would sit there and rightly be like, oh, yeah. that's just not fair. But it's like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's the world. It could have been something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, no one knows. So I, I, that whole concept, this winner take all thing is super fucking crazy. And I think what, what that has taught me too, is that if you find yourself in a situation where you're a winner taking all, you need to you need to go hard at that. It, you mean if you've like found yourself, like if, you've, if you're if a you, winner, if yeah, you want, like if you've somehow like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, press it. If you find, you know, you find the way that, oh shit, you know that that hey, this this bodybuilding guru offered to take me under his wing, you, and you gotta uh, press it, it. And my dream is to be an IFBB pro. Like, press it. But you also got a, a scholarship to study accounting in college. Yeah, it's like okay, you can get you can get an accounting degree very easily and likely three years later right press this though yeah 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 so on one yeah. side press it mm -hmm. so mental model we got to be aware of is that you know i think this and this all applies too of like there's this there's this allure of you know there's the superstar like you were saying who won the tournament who you know even adding in some luck who, who won the tournament and you want to say what did you eat for breakfast what is your mom's name what music do you like 
how do what books do you read? What time do you wake up? In what the time do you wake up in the morning? Yep. And unless the answer is four thirty, then it doesn't matter. <laughs> and uh, but really, all all how Jacko, all it is is just luck, and then a little bit more skill. So we got to be discerning. So first metal model, we got to know about the superstar effect. Um, principle two, we have to be aware of how networks work. And so there's a book that is as crazy as this, and holy shit. And I need to read it, and uh, but it's just gonna—it's—it's it's another tome as as insane as this tome, the wealth of networks. But uh, we'll probably cover it. But networks. So a network is an assemblage of elements called nodes that are somehow connected with one another by a link. So the world's airports constitute a network, as does the World Wide Web, as do social connections, electricity grids, you know, trade routes. Um, and there's a branch of research called network theory that studies the organization of such networks and the links between their nodes and um metcalf's law yeah and and basically the summary here is that networks have a natural tendency to organize themselves around extremely like around an extremely concentrated architecture so a few nodes are extremely well connected and others barely so so you know think of like trade routes in 1800 you know new york city was york really city. fucking important but like yeah. podunk somewhere in idaho or you know in omaha whatever not yeah. not important at all and so um random insults to most part of parts of the net networks will not be consequential since you know likely it will hit a poorly connected spot but this also makes networks really vulnerable to black swans so just consider what would happen if there was a problem with a major node so like he brings up and i don't I, I don't remember this but the electricity blackout experienced in the northeast united states during august 2003 and the consequential mayhem do you remember that i don't no, remember that i was too young yeah we were busy doing taekwondo um but think of think of the pool ball example you know the nine different combinations and you have to take into account the gravitational pull of the person now imagine if that pool ball is facebook so let's say Facebook gets outlawed by the government. That node Chaos. is connected to so many other nodes. We don't have a fucking clue what would happen in that. It's not like, oh no, you know, Facebook's outlawed. I guess there's another, I guess we got to find another social network. It's like, what? Like n we can't predict. I mean, God knows as Mikhail would say. Or like in, it, it applies to cities too. Like what if New York City, you can't, you can't travel in and out of New York City for a month. Yeah, that what that would do to the world economy. Yeah, no one knows. That no, could be that yeah. could be the email that you send. Yeah, that that you're one percent better. That the tournament yep. effect, but negative. Right, and, and and so what you're saying is that node importance in a network is an extremist. Oh, exactly. So it makes sense to understand networks. That's mental model two. Mental model three is we have to understand. That the bell curve is bullshit a lot of the time. It just means it's it's not bullshit in mediocristan. Correct. And but but usually we're not in mediocristan. Right. And so Mr. Taleb loves to just make like hard line statements. Like I imagine him just standing up and just just like punching the table. Like he goes hard on Twitter. Yeah. And just fuck Gauss because Gauss is the mathematician that that created this. But basically, yeah. you know, everybody knows the bell curve. But if you don't know, everything clusters around the middle, the average of the bell curve. And then uh, probability, like one standard deviation away of the mean, 
is like 65 percent yep. or something will fall within that within yep. two standard deviations of the weight 85 yeah everything is like 95 90 something, something. Oh, yeah, yeah. and then like within three standard deviations it's like 98.7 yep and so what that kind of tells us is that when we're going to predict these events that you know hey with a 98 percent certainty we can be pretty sure that the outcome is going to be within three standard deviations away In from the average totally and so like if you look at six sigma sigma means standard deviation so the the thought process behind six sigma is set up a process so that our the process still works even if something so crazy that is six standard deviations away from the mean so 99.99966 percent chance it won't happen even if that happens however like Jordy keeps interjecting, but it's great points and I'm just harassing him. That only works and that implies that we're in mediocristan. And so, he's so always, that he's always screaming about fat tails in on like on Twitter and stuff. He's, he's always screaming about fat tails, fat tails. This is a fat tail situation, meaning you can imagine those ends of the bell curve, where, the bell curve where they kind of get all pointy and small at the end, kind of look like a tail. Mm. He's talking about, no, no, this is a, this, this situation is fat tailed, meaning what you think is a 98% chance in Extremistan is is like four or, or like 71% chance. Uh, yeah. And you're like, you think it's a bell curve, but it's fat tailed, meaning you are putting the wrong model on there. And a 71% chance is happens way more often than a 98% chance. Yeah. And so that's what he's talking about. No, that's good stuff. And I just didn't understand the fat tails. I, I've heard that, but I, I don't know. I'm good at tuning. The tails are out. too skinny in a bell curve. Yeah. Um, but so he says, we can make good use of the Gaussian approach in variables for which there is a rational reason for the largest not to be too far away from the average. Yeah. So think about weight. Average height or weight. Calorie yeah. consumption. Max deadlift. So even right. the strongest fucking person is going to deadlift a thousand pounds. But that's not like, that's like, but you know, double. Then. Yeah, but nobody's going to deadlift a house. No. Nobody's going to deadlift a whale. Versus like, if you look at the net worth of like Jeff Bezos. Right. Compared to me, right? It's like, right, right. <laughs> yeah. It, like boob size. You know, even the biggest boobs in the world. Yeah, are twice as big as yeah. an average. Yeah. But, but now compare that to like fungal infestation in a hundred forests. Like, sure. Dude, there yeah. could be a forest that is is so fucking infested. It's all mushrooms. That, you know, that that's the equivalent of like, you know, you're just you're just a mile wide tip for, for attached size. to a body. I yeah. think even forest size is extremist in. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So we gotta be aware that the bell curve only works in mediocristan. And we get lured into this false sense of certainty. And when you hear 99.99966%, you think in your mind, that's impossible. Yeah. But in reality, fuck that. That, that doesn't matter because one of the central assumptions, so he, he gives this example of if you're flipping a coin over and over and over and over, what are the chances that you get 40 heads? And it's something Very super, <laughs> super low. Yeah. But then he says... Uh, if you're an extremist, Dan, it's different because the first central assumption is that the flips are independent of one another. Yep. So the coin has no memory. We just saw with the superstar effect. That's incorrect. Network um, effect changes everything. Yeah. You know, those probability, you know, it's, it's dependent on the past. If you get 
that that tournament effect, calling it yep. that, it like resonated with me. So it's like if you get one percent ahead, you, you know you're going to get forty flips in a row. Right. But just because you're one percent ahead, think about this: like every every customer that Amazon gets makes the next customer more likely. Holy shit! And that's where the network effect is. It's like every time you add one more person, it makes it easier to add the next. So you see how that's like a ratchet. Yeah. Of, like <laughs> so, it's not you know it's not like the likelihood is 50-50 of if we get a customer. It's like every customer. Maybe the first now, one was 50-50. Yeah. Then it's 48-52. Then it's 45-55. And then it just gets ridiculous. And the the next central assumption of that coin flip example is that there's no wild jump. So, yeah. you know, it's never... You heads, never tails. Fl- heads, tails, heads, tails, yeah. blue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Not, heads, tails, heads, tails. 50 heads somehow at the okay, same time okay it turned into a penny like i did yeah <laughs> yeah so you know knowing all of the things we talked about can't predict anything barbell strategy we got to be real cautious of the gaussian approach the the traditional statistics because that works great when shit's really predictable in mediocristan they but use not as well in extremistan and they, they use it everywhere they use it in uh traditional uh, investing they do analysis. That would be his. That would be his, his critique. Critique of modern portfolio theory because it talks about standard deviation. Yeah, because he'd be like, "You're uh, you're correct. You're it sort of like when you in the logic classes, you can build a valid argument, but it has if a your false, premises are wrong. Yeah. yeah, he would be like, "You're valid. It's all valid, but you just have a false premise that this is a Gaussian world." Yeah, and I think it's probably a spectrum. Yeah, because it's not like extreme sand or not. Because you know, I could say for sure that small that an etf of small cap companies is more risky than an etf of span like an etf of great britain's bonds or something like that maybe not maybe not great britain's bonds, <laughs> yeah. but like i okay i can say that u.s treasuries yeah i could say okay yeah. i could say that so 30 like, year notes yeah. yeah so like that that shows to me that there is some some like standard deviation that's true but yeah but it's like you just have to take it with a grain of salt because you know if it says five standard deviation and then you know you do the little math and then like probability that i'll get a plus or minus 40 or negative 20 return but you could get a negative 70 return yeah and that's just more likely than the traditional statistics would say i think ultimately it comes down to like yeah, just go with it. That's fine. But also just like maybe you have some cash and some gold. Perfect segue because the fourth principle is go with it, but maybe have some cash and some gold. Yeah. Basically, he says, he says, beware, beware of models and use them correctly. Because most models, of course, attempt to be precisely predictive, not just descriptive. Yeah. Or, but sometimes you will use a model. You know, if you're calculating amortization for your house or, or whatever. So... If you are using a model, you need to use it correctly. But in that situation, that is totally like predictable mediocrity of like, what is my interest rate going to be or my, my, my principal pay down over? That's a perfect use of a model because you can like calculate that. I mean, unless we think that like mortgages lend- don't exist the, anymore, the lender will go under. And then what happens if yeah. that, and then the government has to back them out and, or, right. you know, bail them out. And but that'd then, be a useful model. But exactly. It's a useful like it'd, be, model. it'd be a model that we need to be aware of, but it's probably useful. Yeah. So lesson one, if you are using a model, like good point. Yes. Is still assume the world is extreme as Stan, even if your model doesn't. 
So use it as helpful data. So, you know, first in assuming scalable, so, you know, assuming you're in a stream of stand, uh, let's say you're trying to model the sa- book sales of the Da Vinci Code. Okay, yeah. the Da Vinci's Code sold around 60 million copies, Jesus. which is a bunch. It's a lot. And although we've never known a book to sell 200 million copies, we can consider the possibility is not zero, even if the model says it's zero. It's small, but not zero. But but for every three Da Vinci Code bestsellers, there might be one super bestseller. And though that has never happened so far, Bible, we can't rule it out. He's excluding the Bible, okay. actually. Yeah. Um, and for every fifteen Da Vinci Codes, there might be a super super bestseller. Yeah. Say five hundred million copies. Right. And so what he's saying is that you look at the model and you you listen to it. But you also have to kind of be rational, be logical about it and say, okay, it says it's a quarter of a quarter of a quarter of a quarter of a percent that this, that this sells 500 million. Yep. But once you, once you, it's like Gangnam style, the, the mm-hmm. viral video. I feel like once you, once you hit virality, that math doesn't matter anymore. Yeah. It's like you've some become kind of extreme, you've become extremist Dan. Yeah. So it's like. Maybe the mo- the model works up until fifty million, but once you've hit one hundred and fifty million, model doesn't even work. Dude, I just realized had an epiphany. Like this is true in the laws of physics, where it's like you have one set of laws of physics, like Newtonian, up in most situations. But then as you get into extreme situations, either of extremely high mass or approaching the speed of light, like the rules change, and you have like a whole new branch of physics. Holy shit! Because I just wrote right here for lesson two of the models that the model works until it doesn't yep so discard them as soon as they aren't relevant assume that that oracle mm-hmm. is just wasted and drop that bitch it's like it's like there's, a, there's kind of two approaches i don't i didn't think i was going to go here but like you know newton had his physics and then einstein has his has his physics but just because but einstein, there's no unified law of everything right now right but like just because einstein figured out hey Newton's laws don't work in these certain situations and you need these equations. It doesn't mean that you just throw away Newton yeah, and you discard him. It's like, no, but he works almost all situations. Yeah. Except for these special ones. Dude, I feel like this whole podcast is going to just like, cause so many epiphanies and God. my brain's exploding. So we are, thank you if you've journeyed this far with us, we are reaching the end. Holy fucking shit, what a journey. Where are we? Well, we started by introducing the concept of a black swan. Unpredictable, meaningful, and something we delude ourselves about after the fact. I mean, Mr. Taleb's dick has been visible this entire podcast as he went in. His his, his penis length is in extremistan. It is in extremistan. <laughs> yeah, it's a you know, oh my god. Mr. Taleb, please retweet me. <laughs> um, he just went in and proved his thesis that history actually progresses by moving from one unpredictable black swan to another. He then curb stomped the idea that we can't predict anything, you bitch, into our fucking souls. <laughs> then he moved into the meat of this, the tactical, what can we do about it? Well, we can adopt a barbell approach. Like the dragon smog hoards his gold, a large portion of our focus is on one side of the barbell. 
you know, what is the at worst case, I won't be any more poor than this. But then on the other side, we take on more risk. And Jordy brought up the good distinction that we can think about the non-scalable, the dentist on the left. The prostitute. The prostitute for Mr. Taleb on the left. Let's say a prostitute. Yeah, just a hypothetically a prostitute. And on the right, the scalable, the internet business, the podcast, the... Code, media. Coding, media, exactly. But we avoid the safe, middle-of-the-road risk. Working a 70,000-a-year union job that might be gone in five years and not knowing that that's even a risk. At Enron. At Enron. (laughs) Buying bonds. And we're not giving investment advice here. Uh, you know, just playing it safe while actually being exposed to the turkey risk that we don't even know. And finally, he walked us through four mental models that we can have to turn those black swans at least gray. So we can't predict them, but if if we're at least aware that winners can take all, that sometimes our models break down, that the Gaussian approach is many times bullshit, that puts us a lot further ahead than most people and here we are mr taleb closes it up as we as we wind he doesn't say this as we wind down this fucking journey almost as complicated and as insane as the book of five rings and i don't understand a lot here but i feel similarly like like we're grabbing a drop of sweat from hercules's balls here and mr taleb's gonna close with some thoughts he says half the time I am hyper-conservative in the conduct of my own affairs. The other half, I am hyper-aggressive. This may not seem exceptional, except that my conservatism applies to what others call risk-taking and my aggressiveness to areas where others recommend caution. I worry less about small failures, more about large. I worry far more about the promising blue-chip stocks than I do about speculative ventures. The former present invisible risks the latter offer no surprises at least you know the risks. since you know what you're getting into right i worry less about advertised and sensational risks and more about the vicious hidden ones i worry less about terrorism than about diabetes i worry less about embarrassment than about missing an opportunity that's huge i feel like I feel like the currency of success is embarrassment a lot of times. I don't know how those two statements related. What? He says, He says I worry less about embarrassment than about missing an opportunity. Oh, got it. And yes. I said, I feel like the currency of success a lot of times yes. is just being willing to publicly embarrass yourself over and over until you figure it out. Yes. Oh, that's 100% true. Yeah. And then you realize that, that oh, here we go. Embarrassment is mediocristan. Like you can only be so embarrassed. But success can be extremist and oh. so you're basically trading a mediocre stand risk for a extremist and reward. Right. That's why. Yeah. And like, what's the worst case? You know, you get shamed. It's like, okay, I'm chilling <laughs> in the compound. Like, like, come shame me. Shame me. <laughs> okay. And he says, in the end, this is a trivial decision making rule. I'm very aggressive when I can gain exposure to positive black swans, when a failure would be of small effect and very conservative when I'm under the threat from a negative black swan. There you this go. may not be too interesting, except it is exactly what other people do not do. And as the goddamn Oracle of Omaha, Warren Buffett has been known to say, be fearful when others are greedy 
and greedy when others are fearful. Well, holy shit, dude. Now we understand. This was a lot. This was definitely the most ever, and we covered a lot. And as we close this shit out, you know, all these ideas, all this philosophy, all these problems with knowledge, all these wild opportunities and scary losses, I think everything pales in front of the following thought. We are alive. I think we, we are quick to forget that just being alive is an extraordinary piece of good luck. A remote event, a chance occurrence of monstrous proportions. True. Uh, imagine a speck of dust next to a planet a billion times the size of Earth. That speck of dust represents the odds in favor of your being born. Nice. Nailed it. And, dude, the fact that I'd be sitting here across from you that a conversation 15 years ago on the bus to Black Belt Camp about how we wanted Jack Lats would yep. turn into a lifelong friendship. You sitting in my house at my compound digesting this insane fucking tome, both on the path, what are the chances? So... It's coming full circle. But as we close this out, go out there in the world, use this knowledge to take scalps and avoid getting your scalps taken. Yep. But ultimately remember the chances of this thing called life even happening is remote. So be thankful. Keep living your life according to the way, the way of strategy, of discipline, the way of working from sunup to sundown, knowing one thing from 10,000 things and 10,000 things from one thing, whatever the fuck that still means, Musashi, and realizing that once you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. Thank you very much. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.